The Black Doctors Podcast highlights the stories of minority professionals with the goal of inspiring others. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and share with others, because the next generation can't be what they don't see. Tune in every Monday to hear our stories told by us. Hello and welcome back to Black Doctors Podcast. I'm Stephen, your host. This week, I'm so excited to be joined by Dr. Candice Thompson. She is a surgeon, graduate of Howard University, two times, Howard University, as well as the College of Medicine at Howard. She then went on to complete a general surgery residency program at Georgetown University and is currently in California completing her fellowship in breast surgery. Dr. Thompson, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me and congrats on having this awesome podcast to reach out to um, everyone and inform them about things going on in the medical field. This is great. And it's been a while since we last spoke. Um, How have you been since Howard? I've been good. Um, Yeah, as you mentioned, so after medical school, I did my residency at Georgetown. It was actually at MedStar Washington Hospital Center originally. Um, I had to scramble um, to get in because I actually didn't match. And then I matched at Washington Hospital Center and then we merged with Georgetown. We always rotated there, but then we finally merged. And then I completed my general surgery residency this past summer. And now I'm um, at Stanford doing my breast surgical oncology fellowship. So, yeah. Let's start at the very beginning, Dr. Thompson. When did you decide to become a physician? Um, I'm sort of one of those weird ones who decided pretty early that I wanted to be a physician. Uh, Like, I just remember the first time going to the doctor and seeing her, like, give me a shot. She's actually a black physician from Howard. Um, But, like, I remember just being so fascinated with the human body. So I knew pretty early on, like, elementary school, I was always like, I want to be a doctor. Both of my parents were engineers. My dad is an aerospace engineer, so he worked on like the space station and the space shuttles. And my mom is an industrial engineer, and she worked at a competing company to my dad on like night vision (laughs) missile stuff. So she always wanted me to be like an engineer also, and actually sort of had an engineering path in undergrad. I did chemistry and math double majors, but I just always loved the human body and Um, I always wanted to be able to directly impact other people's lives. And I didn't feel like I could do that as much with engineering. And back in elementary school, when you decided to become a physician, did you know you wanted to be a surgeon? Um, I always sort of had an inkling that I wanted to be a surgeon. Yeah, I, I knew pretty early on, probably middle school. I was like, I definitely want to have a direct impact and be able to immediately fix issues. I didn't really, no offense to other physicians, but I didn't like the idea of just like seeing patients and not being able to like put my hands on things and fix fix the issue directly. So yeah, and then I shadowed a few doctors when I was younger. I didn't shadow any surgeons, interestingly, until like, until med school. Wow. But, yeah, it's crazy how, how things worked out. You <laughs> went to... Howard University for undergrad, what went into that decision to attend uh, the best HBCU in the in the country? Well, as I mentioned, my pediatrician, she she went to Howard 
Um, and then my father, he went to Morehouse and Georgia Tech. He did, got two degrees from those two institutions. Um, so he was very big on going to an HBCU. I was pretty much surrounded by a lot of people growing up who went to HBCUs. My godfather went to an HBCU, or yeah, to an HBCU. And then a lot of my friends growing up, their parents had gone to HBCUs, my black friends. And I just felt like they sort of represent the um, cream of the crop for minorities. Although you can go to um, other institutions, obviously, and be great. But um, I just wanted to experience what it was like being around other minorities who were just high achieving and doing well for themselves. Um, because I feel like it's not really portrayed that much in the media and you don't really get to see it that much elsewhere. Yeah. And how was your uh, four years there at Howard? It was amazing. <laughs> I lived on campus all four years. Um, I was on an academic scholarship and I also did research at Howard and at Georgetown during my undergrad years. So um, that was a great experience. I felt like they really tried to nurture me in a way that I don't know that I would have gotten at other institutions, honestly. Yeah. Were, were the dorms in good shape when you were there? <laughs> the dorms were not nearly as good as they are now. Now they have a Whole Foods. It's ridiculous. I had to travel on a bus two different ways to get to Whole Foods because there was only one in the city at the time. There was only one Trader Joe's. Now they have a Whole Foods like right behind one of the dorms. They've updated all of the dorms except for a few. I know that they they have some issues <laughs> it's coming. with it's coming. Um, other issues that are going on right now. So they do need to address those, obviously, but it was not as nice as it is now. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, as you finished up your studies at Howard, you applied to medical school. And I'm yeah. sure you had options to go elsewhere, but you stayed to attend Howard oh. University. Why? Um, that was, there was multiple reasons. I felt like the main reason was I got a partial scholarship to go to medical school there. <laughs> so everything was paid for for undergrad. They actually paid me. And then for medical school, it was a decent like partial scholarship. And I love DC. So I, I didn't really see a real need to leave. Yeah. So you mentioned scholarships twice, scholarship to undergrad, scholarship to medical school. What is the secret? Not that there's a secret, it's just hard work. But how did you earn these scholarships? What was it for? For undergrad, it was for academics. Um, I was the valedictorian of my high school of like almost a thousand people. And I did pretty well on my SATs. Um, I got almost a perfect score for my math score. And then my lit one was pretty high. So they gave me a full ride for that. Um, and then I also had a very high GPA. I had a 4.0 again for undergrad. So they gave me a partial scholarship for, for medical school. Um, a 4.0 as a chemistry math double major? Yeah. Whoa. I really love math. So <laughs> uh, Clearly. Yeah. clearly. So congratulations. So you attended Howard. You stayed in D.C., for medical school, I was I was actually just at Howard a couple of weeks ago. Um, just the nostalgia from walking those those hallways. How was your medical school experience? Because by now you knew you wanted to go into surgery. Yes, by now um, I knew I wanted to go into surgery. My medical ex 
well, you know, you were at Howard. <laughs> it was, <laughs> it was a, it was a good experience. I feel like um, you'll probably hear different things from like a lot of different medical schools. Like my sister is in med school right now, and they're always playing with how like they want the curriculum to be yeah. at like all medical schools. So, but I, I felt like I got a good education there. I was able to do some research while I was doing my medical school at Howard. I have a great mentor there who was a plastic surgeon, two of them plastic surgeons. Dr. Um, Bolden. Dr. Kelly Bolden and then Dr. Um, Paul. So I worked with Dr. Bolden as well as with the breast surgeon, uh, Dr., um, Dr. Wilson. And we were looking at like the rates of immediate reconstruction after mastectomies for patients who have breast cancer, just because we wanted to look at the disparities there um, and see if there were any with, um, with all different minorities. We looked at Blacks, Whites, Hispanics, Asians, and just to see if, if they're undergoing reconstruction as the, at the same rate as their um, white counterparts. So that was very interesting. They don't, don't keep us in suspense. The <laughs> <laughs> they were not at the time um, undergoing rates of reconstruction at the same rate as their white counterparts, and that included Hispanics as well as Asians. Um, there are multiple like cultural aspects that play into things, and like body image, and that's still something that's ongoing that that we need to address as a community and as a nation, as far as education and like following up with their doctors and mostly more education so that they know what's going on. And I think it's fairly common in a lot of different communities, especially minority communities, to not ask questions and to mm, just mm-hmm. do what the doctor tells you or to just be too afraid to ask any questions, not see a doctor. And that's a huge reason why I chose breast surgery particularly is because I feel like a lot of minorities, especially black women, are substantially affected due to lack of education or just being afraid. That's fantastic. So you were doing this research while you were in undergrad as well as in medical school. You did more research and then uh, you knew you were heading into surgery. How did you approach the match process? Did you do any away rotations? Great question. So for the match process in um, medical school, I did a few away rotations. I did one out here actually at UCSF for breast surgery, and I did one at UT Southwestern in Dallas for plastic surgery. And I feel like I would highly recommend doing away rotations just to help everyone to see, or I guess applicants to see different aspects of, um, of medicine at different places. And also just to get your feet wet, they treat you as if you're an acting intern at most of these places, and it helps you to get interviews if you do well. It's also like a personal choice, I guess. Some people are told not to do away rotations or don't do them at the place that you want to actually go. Um, But I know several people who did away rotations at the places that they want to go, and that's how they got their their Mm -hmm. spot. Um, So... I think it's a great opportunity. You just have to go in with the mentality that you're going to hit the ground running and do everything you can to be the best intern. (laughs) But I would definitely recommend it. For for fellowship, we didn't really have 
away rotations per se, but I know that some people did aways like um, at some institutions during their elective time for their um, general surgery residency. I know a few people did um, an away rotation. So that's also helpful. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I didn't know that was a thing. And, and I, I echo that because I highly recommend away rotations and different things. Like I know at Howard, you know, we didn't have an academic anesthesiology residency program. So it was very right. beneficial for me to go away and just experience, you know, what it's like at a teaching hospital for anesthesia. And like you mentioned, just seeing how different places do things. It also gives you something to talk about on your interviews. And I know we're dating ourselves apparently, but the process has changed <laughs> and step one is now pass fail. So anything you can oh, yeah. do to really set yourself apart. Honestly, I would probably encourage uh, doing away at the program that you want to match at and just work your butt off and, and win those hearts and minds in person. Yes, I completely agree. And then um, on top of that, for the away rotations, I felt like if you're coming from like a smaller institution or one where you feel like you mentioned, like there, there wasn't academic um, like anesthesia, like a residency program at Howard, there wasn't like a plastic surgery program at Howard. We didn't really have a, a surgeon fellowship there. So it's always great to go to an institution where they have those things so that you can really see um, how things are run. And I just, I wanted to go to like um, some of the top institutions for those fields so I could just see how, how different things go there. And then also as a, as a chief resident, we sat in on the, on the different interviews at Georgetown. So I think some of the other things that we do look at significantly are the, are, is the research for each person. So I would highly recommend getting involved in research pretty early on if you know you want to go into something that's pretty competitive because we did look at that. And I can assure you every single person we looked at had had research that was published. How much we talking? They had a, a, a handful of papers at least. Some people had. It was like ridiculous. I was like, I, I didn't have this much research. This, I mean, is, I this is for fellowship or for residency? For residency. Yeah, like the bar has like jumped. Yeah, uh oh. <laughs> so I would highly recommend getting involved in research because even if you don't do an away rotation, they will definitely look at your your research experience. That's um, especially at places like your Harvard's or um, even like Georgetown or Stanford. Like they want you to have research experience. That's good. That's very helpful to know and and. Hopefully folks know early enough that they can actually, um, you know, secure some of those research opportunities. I unfortunately did not match. Um, it was a very humbling experience. I did have several interviews. I think it may have been because I did apply to a few different pro Like I applied to plastic surgery and general surgery because um, I was sort of between the two. Honestly, I had always loved a lot of aspects of general surgery. I love trauma. I love surgical oncology. So I think that may have been one of the issues in my application, honestly. And then 
when I found out that I did not match, fortunately, there were open spots um, at Washington Hospital Center. And since I was there, um, I just worked as hard as I could my first year. And I liked them. They liked me. (laughs) So I ended up staying. And what was that process like uh, scrambling into a hospital center? It was a rough week. (laughs) (laughs) So basically... Um, I guess the way that it works is different. I think, I don't know if it's changed because they like have a different name for it and everything now. Right. But like, yeah, it's it's soap or something anymore. Yeah. It's soap. Um, but like they post like different places that have openings and then basically we cold called the program directors or emailed them. I'm not really sure if it's the same process anymore, but so I like emailed everyone. And then like, I think like the third day in, I got a call from my old program director and it went well. And then he hired me and I got an email saying that I got the spot. It's very stressful. There are a lot of times where I was like doubting myself and Mm -hmm. everything and it's very difficult because they'll post things like I knew I wanted to be a surgeon and then they posted like you like you'll see the spots every day just like going down for surgery because people have taken them and gotten them. Mm. Um, so like only things that are left are like other specialties. So I would say for anyone who's in that position, just um, keep working hard. I know people who did the soap process several times, honestly which sounds very stressful, but I mean, I ended up exactly where I wanted to be actually a little bit better. So, um, I would just say not to give up. Um, and you will find your, your niche somewhere, even if it's not exactly where you thought it would be originally. I know a few people who actually soaked, who wanted to do surgery, soaked into surgery and then changed their mind. And it's like now an anesthesiologist, um, or like, (laughs) or other fields like one guy soaked he got into surgery he got the spot and then he was like oh i want to do radiology (laughs) so so i mean even if you don't have to soap and you end up doing what you want to do the course may change um you just have to stick with it yeah i think it's an incredibly stressful traumatic event that after you move past it maybe doesn't seem as big as it as it did at that point in time is that fair to say yeah that, that's a fair assessment <laughs> yeah but and then you finished residency at georgetown what was your experience mm-hmm. as a surgery resident at, at georgetown university it was amazing i loved it um i felt very supported it's a very large program now um it's about 10 residents each year so it's like 60 residents in total because there are some on wow. research Um, But um, the program director is very supportive. He, I felt like he listened to all of our complaints and all of our worries and um, actively tries to fix things and is really there for the residents in ways that um, I don't feel like I've heard other people's stories from general residency. And I I feel like um, we're pretty well supported at Georgetown. That's good. Any challenges being a black woman physician in surgery? Well, I guess there are always challenges um, just being a woman in general, like going in a room and people thinking you're the nurse. But I guess 
just the things that you would normally expect. But um, I, I felt supported the whole way at Georgetown. So it was never really like a big issue or anything. I never felt like isolated. There were, Georgetown's also pretty big on diversity. So I felt like there were a lot of people who were represented um, there, especially being in DC. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. I mean, it's, and that's something to note that typically your programs in a larger inner city programs are a little more right. uh, woke, I guess. Um, so that's good. You had a great time in residency and you're currently mm-hmm. finishing up a fellowship in breast surgery. Is it a one year or two year fellowship? It's a one year fellowship. And can you yep. talk to us about this specialty or this subspecialty of surgery, um, breast surgery? Sure. So um, breast surgery encompasses, it's basically breast surgical oncology. So during the one-year fellowship, we operate, we um, do um, oncologic resections of breast cancer. There's also benign diseases that we address. It's a very well-rounded fellowship in a year for you to really hone in on your craft. We rotate on things other than surgery, which is pretty interesting. We rotate on pathology radiation oncology, medic, medical oncology, radiology, so that you become a well-rounded surgeon so that you know the questions to ask and you know what's going on in all the other fields so that you can completely assess the patient whenever it comes to, to breast cancer. How's it going so far? It's going well. I love it. It's great. I feel very well supported. Here at Stanford, they take one um, fellow per year but it's, it's really good. And then um, most of the time you have to do a, or they want you to do a research project. So I'm also working on that. We have several projects going on here at Stanford, one of which uh, we are looking for patients who have um, DCIS, ductal carcinoma in situ in the Bay Area, who, who may have hardships in like transportation, we can provide that. So we're looking for, for those patients. So if there are any doctors out there listening, you can send us your, your DCIS patients who, who um, may need transportation or anything. Yeah. And how would they uh, get a hold of you or who should they get a hold of? We are located at 300 Pasteur Drive, uh, Stanford, California. And the phone number to the clinic is 650-498. Six zero zero four, and then they should be able to make an appointment with Dr. Wapner is as my program director, and she actually um, is headlining this because she's really passionate about treating patients who with disparities, who are um, disenfranchised, who who need help. And we have a great team here: great medical oncologists, geneticists pathologist, radiation oncologist. So we have everything here that they need. And we're when we're recording this, we're getting towards the end of 2021. How long is this uh, project going to be recruiting patients, roughly, if you had to guess? Um, well, we're still actively recruiting, so we're, we're nowhere near our target. So if they're listening in 2022, you can come <laughs> over still. <laughs> it's worth the phone call. Awesome. So, Dr. Thompson, we talked briefly earlier, but um, obviously in every field of medicine, there's healthcare disparities. Uh, what disparities do you see in terms of breast cancer screening 
Um, so as far as screening goes, African-American females um, are known to present with more progressed disease just because of decreased or delayed screening. So I would highly advocate for everyone to be screened with with their annual mammogram starting at age 40. And if you feel anything, definitely go to your doctor and say something um, just so you can get things checked out. African-American women are also more likely to present with triple negative breast cancer as well as some other ethnicities. So we do have treatments for those, but definitely recommend getting screened um, so that we can help fight this. Remind me, triple negative, because I haven't worked with, was it Dr. DeWitty was a surgeon when I was in med school? <laughs> triple negative breast cancer is... So whenever you're looking at breast cancer, we're looking at their hormone um, receptors. Um, so triple negative means that their their receptors are all negative, um, and those are the ones that typically will undergo chemotherapy. So we're looking at um, estrogen receptor, progesterone receptor, HER2 receptors. And if they're negative, that's worse. Um, historically, that's what we say, but we do have good treatment regimens for them now. The treatment regimens are better than they have been. Gotcha, gotcha. That's good to know. It's not necessarily worse. It's just different. And mammograms start at 40. Correct. Okay. It's good. You know, I talked <laughs> to different specialists through this podcast, so I'm trying to keep or, you know, revisit the preventative health numbers and... Yeah, it's a good review for you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Awesome. Well, Dr. Thompson, thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, We're excited to see what's next for you and your career. Um, If someone wanted to reach out, where might you have a platform on social media or or online? Oh, yeah. So I still need to work on my platforms. Right now, I have a a Twitter handle. I don't have an Instagram account. Um, but my Twitter handle is um, at ctbreastmd. C is in Candace, T is in Thompson, breastmd. Love it. How often do you tweet? I, I need to work on that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still learning but how yeah. to use Twitter, so I'm right there with you. Yeah. But thank you for having me, Dr. Bradley. Now, this is a great platform that you have right now, and hope it. People are listening and tuning in and learning stuff. Awesome, man. Thank you for joining us on the show to share your life and, and your progress and your, the incredible career that you're uh, studying to become. So, Dr. Candace Thompson, thank you for joining us on the Black Doctors podcast because uh, representation matters. Okay, thank you. The Black Doctors podcast is a nonprofit volunteer passion project with the goal of inspiring all who listen. Tune in next week for another episode of the Black Doctors Podcast with Dr. Stephen Bradley, your friendly neighborhood anesthesiologist.